Join me in Matthew chapter 16, if you would go there in your Bible, Matthew chapter 16. Remember many years ago, I was preaching a sermon one Sunday to the church family that I was working with about being nice to visitors. I think we need to talk about that sometimes. And um, I was making the point in the lesson that uh, when we have guests in our crowd, we need to be careful not to just speak to each other, but, but make a point to, to greet them and talk to them and not just rush right out the door. So that was one of the points I made in my lesson. And then I wrapped things up and I went and I stood in the back while we had a, a final word and then a prayer. And as the last amen was said in that service, I lifted up my head and opened my eyes and I caught this instant flash of movement to my right. And what I saw was about five of our teenagers who were sitting right over here make a beeline because we had an emergency exit right there like you did. And those five kids just zipped out that side door and I was able to kind of slide over back in the lobby and look out and watch them. They went out into the parking lot, piled into one of their cars and then they sat there waited for mom and dad to be done so they could go home. So here I had said in the sermon, remember, don't rush right out the door, right, right? So as it turned out, I think providentially, I was teaching their class Wednesday night. And so, and so that Wednesday night, we started class with a come to Jesus meeting. Do y'all do that in Arkansas? Y'all, y'all know what that is. And I fussed at them. I said, look, I said, don't do that. And that's exactly what you did. And I had about 12 kids just looking at me like I had grown a second head on top of my shoulders. They looked at me like I was crazy. And finally, one of the little girls raised her hand. And she said, Mr. David, we didn't know you were talking to us. (laughs) So there are things periodically in my life that are sort of epiphany moments that stick with me. And that Bible class is one of those moments because it reminded me of something that I have to absolutely remember about the young people who grow up among us. I don't know if it is traditional here, but in many places I have been, it's traditional to talk to young people about the next generation. Do you ever use that language, hear that language? And and I know that there is a sense in which that language is accurate as one generation ages and dies, there is the need for the next generation to step up and take on the roles and the work and to do the things that we do for the Lord. And so I don't really think the language is inaccurate, but here's the thing that I want to say to you about that. I think when we talk to our kids about being the next generation, I think they hear something that we do not intend. I think what they hear is that while I am young, I don't have any kingdom responsibilities. It's only after I get older, after I turn 18, or when I get done with college, or when I'm married and have a family, then I begin to take up the mantle. Then I'm, then I'm bound with responsibilities. But in my youth, 
All I'm really expected to do is show up. I don't want to exaggerate that problem, but over the years I've been preaching, I've done some work in college towns, and I've seen that spirit in young people. In fact, first church I worked with in Huntsville, Texas, one of the young men who'd come to go to school there just was straight up with us about that. He said, look, I will show up if it works with my class schedule, but you need to understand I'm here to get an education. And so you guys can't expect much from me because that's what I'm here to do. Well, he got a great education. By the time he was done, he had left Jesus. He had no faith. In fact, I would submit to you that one of the reasons it is so easy for young people when they grow up to just walk away is, is because they were never really with us. They never formed any meaningful connections. They were never involved in what the church family did in any kind of a meaningful way beyond, beyond showing up. And so I think it is important for us to remember that while our proficiency increases as we get older, that does not mean that young people have no responsibilities to the Lord. I invited you to Matthew 16. If you look down at verse 24, Jesus said, if we're going to be his disciples, we've got to deny ourselves, take up his cross and follow me. And you notice there's no age limit placed there on disciples. If you are a disciple, that is your responsibility. Whether you're a 96-year-old disciple or a 16-year-old disciple or somewhere in between there. Those are the responsibilities that everybody who follows Jesus is supposed to take up and embrace. And so I think we need, I think we need to be careful that we don't expect less from our kids than Jesus does. And so I will tell you that I have stopped talking about young people as the next generation. I've had to get out of that habit too. And I've tried to think more about how we can activate that next generation for kingdom service right now. That's just a fancy way of saying how can we get kids involved in kingdom labors in a meaningful way while they are still kids growing up among us, all right? Can we do more than just expect that they will be present? I think we can, but brothers and sisters, some things will have to change if that's going to happen. And so let's see, I got, I got about 25 minutes. Am I reading that right? Let me see how quickly I can get through. I think there are four through this. Four things that need to change if we're going to pull this off. First of all, we've got to change our perspective on our kids. We've got to see our kids in a new way. So let me ask you to think about that. When you look around at the kids, what do you see? Go to the door of the teenage high school class when we're over. Peek in the room. Look at those faces. What do you see? I think we see kids, right? In fact, this is my theory on why dads have a hard time helping daughters dress modestly. Because when they look at their 16-year-old daughter, they do not see a 16-year-old young woman. They see a six-year-old princess, right? And the thought of the six-year-old princess being the object of some boy's lust 
is enough to make them go out and buy a weapon, right? You get that. But you understand, and the problem is, she is no longer a six-year-old princess. She is a six-year-old, 16-year-old young woman, and the boys are looking. Daddies, she needs to cover up, and you need to help with that. But that's the problem. When we look at our kids, we don't see kids. We see kids. We don't see, we don't see people who have something meaningful to offer. Kingdom work is big, important work. That's the kind of work you give to kids. I remember one of our elders came by the church building one day and he knocked on my door. He said, come in the auditorium, I want to show you something. So we came in the back door and he started walking around showing me the edges of the pews and they were kind of scuffed and marked, had some wear on them because of the years. And he said, he said, "Um, we need to get someone to get some old English and a rag and polish these up. He said, I think that would be a great work for the teenagers today. Now listen, I'm okay with teenagers polishing pews. But is that really the limit? Is that all young people can do? I tell you what changed my mind about that. The Bible changed my mind about that. Because interestingly, the book you're holding in front of you this morning is a book that is loaded with examples of young people who did amazing things, right? So will you let that stir in your mind for a minute? How many young people can you think of whose stories are told in Scripture that just did amazing things? So I'll start with my favorite Bible character, Joseph, Genesis 39. Think about the life of Joseph, what he went through. His brothers, his brothers, his own brothers sold him into slavery after growing up in that dysfunctional family. And he's taken down into Egypt and he gets into that mess with Potiphar's wife and he ends up in prison. And even in prison, he helps some guys out and he gets forgotten. I mean, his life is just one disaster after another. But the curious thing about Joseph's story is you can calculate the age there. He's a teenage boy when his trouble starts, when he's sold in slavery, and he's 30 when that situation turns around. So all those early stories about Egypt and Potiphar's wife and brothers, all of that, that happened in his youth, guys. Part of that season, he was a teenage kid, and yet he was a man of remarkable faith and trust in God and plays this pivotal role in the story, saves the family the Messiah is going to come from. I think about David. And particularly, that story in 1 Samuel 17, I love this story. When David is willing to do what no other Israelite soldier would do, he's willing to go out and take on that Philistine giant, Goliath. What's great about that story is David just didn't go out and face off with this guy. When he gets to the battlefield, he trash talks him. Have you ever seen that? Look at verse 45. He says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the, of the Lord of the host of the God of the armies of Israel whom you've taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies, the armies of the Philistines this day, and the birds of the sky, and the wild beasts of earth, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. Watch 47. And that all this assembly may know. The Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. The 
remarkable thing about that story is this isn't a story that comes from late in David's life as the seasoned commander of Israelite armies. This is his youth. I don't know how old he was. I just know when he says, hey, I'll go fight the giant, everybody's saying, he can't do it. He's just a boy. The armor doesn't fit. I love 47. That camp of terrified soldiers were going to learn a lesson that day about how you trust in the Lord. And the lesson was taught by a boy. And then I think about, I think about Josiah. I'm going to Second um, Chronicles 34. It's kind of a forgotten story. We don't talk about it a lot, but... Josiah leads what is arguably one of the most remarkable spiritual revivals that you will read about in the Old Testament. Uh, when he becomes king, this is chapter 34, verse 3. He begins to seek the God of his father, David. Uh, he begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem, the high places, and tear down the altars and burn the bones of the priests. Verse 5, he's eradicating idolatry from Judah. And then in verse 9, he begins to repair the house of the Lord. I mean, just read the story. It's a remarkable story. But, but you know, if you know this story, that I have passed right over. What is the coolest part of Josiah's story? Verse 1 says he was eight years old when he became king. And it's in the eighth year of his reign. The text says, while he is still a youth, that he began to seek the Lord. The Holy Spirit acknowledges how remarkable this is. He's a 16-year-old kid. And it's when he's 20 in the 12th year of his reign that he begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the idols and begins that revival. I mean, it's a remarkable story of someone who turns the nation around. But that, that guy is a kid when all of this starts. Do you see that? Now, I know that some of you are sitting there thinking, wait a minute, there are more stories. I know, but y'all put me on the clock this morning. We could go on and on and on. I know you're thinking, how could you not talk about Daniel? I had to shorten the sermon. He was in there. Another great story. Here's the thing I want you to know, though. These kids are unremarkable. I mean, they were not endowed with some miraculous measure of faith or confidence and trust in God to do the things that they did. They're kids just like our kids who did great things for the Lord. And what we need to do when we read these stories is see the untapped potential that's latent, that's lying there in our kids, that goes largely unused in way too many congregations. We need to see our kids in a whole new way. And then when we do that, the second thing I think that needs to happen here is I think we need to raise our level of expectation. I think we need to expect more from our kids, which raises an interesting question. What do you expect from your kids? You know, I've had some mom and dad say, I'm just happy my kids come. Really? Just put your warm backside in a pew? That's it? And I've had some parents say, no, I expect my, come, my kids to come, and when they're sitting there, I expect them to, to, to behave themselves and be good, not disruptive. And then if we can get them to show up and not disrupt and write a few answers in a lesson book and show up for a Sunday night Devo occasionally, then we start saying things like, oh, we have great kids at this place, Right? 
And I'm thinking, really? That's it? Show up, behave, put some answers in some blanks that took you all of seven or eight minutes, and that's great spiritual young people? Folks, we need to raise the bar. I start thinking about David and Josiah, and I'm thinking, I think our kids could do more than that. How about a biblical standard? Make your way to 1 Timothy 4. Verse 12, how about what Paul expects from Timothy? 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Let me comment on that list. I don't think that list is all-inclusive. I don't think that list is meant to say, you be an example in these five ways and Only these five ways. I think it is a representative list. He's mentioning these five, but what he's really saying is, (coughs) in every facet of discipleship, you show everyone what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Does that mean kids will show up? Absolutely. And behave? Certainly. And fill out lesson books? Don't even get me started on that. It's so much more than that. Folks, our young people can be passionate Bible students. I was telling the the folks, well, I think I told this to the guys. Um, Our church family in Houston has a Bible reading program every year. This year we're reading the letters of Paul. And um, I asked my kids Wednesday night, how many of you are doing the Bible reading? And I was actually kind of surprised. It wasn't bad. About about, about 60% of them had been doing at least some of the Bible reading. And I said, can't all of you do it? And so we agreed that, that next week they would they would do the reading. Got to class last Wednesday. This is like three days ago. Every one of my kids had done the Bible reading. In fact, we're reading First Timothy right now. And almost all of them had read all the way through the letter. Do you know why? Someone expected them to do that. Somebody asked them to do that. Kids can be passionate Bible students, they can have meaningful prayer lives. They can, they can, uh, they can uh, be involved in meaningful ways in the Lord's work. They can take courageous stands for truth. They can make the decision to make spiritual things a priority over everything else. In fact, I will just tell you what I've discovered about young people. It has nothing to do with what the task is. It is all about just where we set the bar. If we will put it up there, they will reach for it. And so I think we need to consider what are our expectations. And then once we realize they need to be higher than they are, the next thing that will have to happen is we will have to make opportunities for our young people to be involved. And so I want you to think about 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. If you want to go peek at that verse, 1 Peter 4, 10, where Peter says that each one of us has a gift. All of us have skills and abilities 
with kingdom application. And we're supposed to put them to use is what Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10, right? So here's the thing that I want you to get with me. Young people are included in that. The young people who grow up among us have gifts and talents and skills that have a kingdom application. And one of the most important tasks I think we have as a church family is while kids grow up among us is to help them figure out what those gifts are and to help them hone them and develop them so that by the time they grow up and are ready to leave us, they are, they are equipped to serve. Now, if that's going to work, brothers and sisters, we've got to start paying attention before they're 18, 19, or 20 years old. I don't know how it is around here, but where I preach, once our kids 18, hit 18, for most of them, that's the end of our time together. When our kids do 18, they do this, hit 18, they do this terrible thing. They graduate high school and then they move off and abandon us. Does that happen to you? In fact, y'all, you're old. I don't know why y'all keep hiring preachers named Jacob, but you're old Jacob um, who moved to Texas A&M. He steals all our kids. Our kids move over there and go to school. And they don't ever come back. Our girls over there meet these, go over there and meet these punk boys and fall in love and get married. And then they'll move them off to some other part of the country. But here's the point. When they hit 18, they're gone. If we haven't paid attention before then, there is no more opportunity. And so what I'm submission is submitting to is that 18 needs to be the end. The work needs to take place before all of that. If we got a kid among us who has an ability to be a song leader or a young lady who has the ability to be a servant to, 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 to those among us who are in need or to be a servant in Bible class. We need to have figured that out well before 18 and start training and prepping and developing so when they move over there to where Jacob is, if one of our boys can lead songs, we want him to be ready to Get up and lead song. In fact, we adopted that motto in one of the churches I was working with. Uh, with our kids, we said our goal was equipped to serve. Those three words, equipped to serve. When they leave, that's where we want them to be. We want them to be ready to serve wherever they go. So I want to give you a challenge about that. I don't know, I don't know what your thing is, uh, how you use your gifts for the good of the kingdom. Maybe... You're a Bible class worker. We had a bunch of those up here yesterday. Maybe you're part of tech people who record and stream and do all that kind of stuff. Maybe you just sort of quietly watch for people who are, who are in need. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people who, who, who oh, some of my favorite people in the church, who like bake cookies and drop them off to people occasionally. We got a lady uh, back at Kleinwood. Man, her chocolate chip cookies are to die for. And so I just try to find a reason she needs to bring me some of those. But, uh, but, but she serves people that way. Here's what I want you to do. Will you think about finding some young person that you can get interested in doing what you do? Maybe if you minister to widows or elderly people who are shut in, 
Get a couple of the teenagers to help you out in that ministry. Or maybe you can do what one of our song leaders does back home. He, he in the summertime, uh, will come to the church building an hour early, and he invites the boys who are interested in leading singing to come up there. And he just takes these young men, and he grooms them and prepares them and, and helps them learn how to be song leaders. He does great work of service to our youth. What do you do? In fact, if you're, if you're sitting there thinking, man, I just kind of come and fill up you. Yeah, maybe you need to think about 1 Peter 4, verse 10, too, and what you need to be doing for the Lord and where your gifts need to be applied to the kingdom. But get some young person interested in what you do because you can't just have greater expectations. There have to be opportunities for kids to step up and serve. And then the last thing I want to say to you is uh, once these new opportunities begin to open up, we, we need to hold kids accountable to take advantage of those. And so this is where mom and dad become absolutely vital. So Paul said in Ephesians 6 and verse 4 that our task is to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? So I would submit to you that one of the most important things I do as a dad for my sons was during their growing up years to help them find their gifts and put them to use for the good of the kingdom and encourage them in that. Because as the doors open and opportunities are there for them to get involved, sometimes kids need a little, they need a little nudge to do that. And we need mom and dad's help with that vital work. And I'll tell you why I say that. Over the years I have found, sadly, that parents, parents are sometimes the greatest liability in that process. We talk about getting their kids coming to to devotions on Sunday night at someone's house. And I've had some dads say, you know, they just have so much homework to do. And I really have to practice self-discipline at that moment because what I want to do is just let my head explode right there in front of him. And, and what, what I want to say is, wait, wait, wait. So, so somehow calculus ranks above Christ. Is that what you're saying? I know some dads who would never even let their sons miss one football practice. But that same dad would say to me about devotions and Bible class, he said, well, I just don't think I ought to force my kids about that. I ought to think they ought, I think they ought to make up their own mind about these spiritual activities. And I've never said it, but I've really wanted to. I've always wanted to ask, does that work with school? Like when Monday comes up, your kid comes walking in in his pajamas and says, yeah, dad, just not feeling school today. Think I'm going to stay home. That's okay. Does it work with vegetables? Not at my house, man. My wife was tough about that kind of stuff. But can he just get, get, you know, get up in the morning and say, yep, don't feel like eating that for breakfast. Think I'll just have some cold leftover pizza. It is stunning to me that when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes that just, well, I'm going to let them make up their own mind about that. That is not bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is not prioritizing their relationship with Christ over everything else. I tell you why that's so important. Somebody needs, somebody needs to give them a nudge to take advantage of these opportunities and be involved. In several places that I have worked, we have tried to do some training with young men so that they could lead public worship. And so where I'm at now, we have this, uh, this devotion once a month before our evening gathering. 
that's led by our young men. And so they do things like they'll, they'll, they'll offer prayers and read scripture and lead songs and boys will make talks and, and basically lead what might look like a Wednesday night version of our service. So my job in that is to draft boys to make their first talk, which, by the way, is just the nightmare scenario for an 11-year-old kid. And so I'll pick out some kid that's kind of been doing songs or prayers or something, and, and I'll say, hey, next month, next month I want, you to, I want you to make the talk. And usually what he'll do is he'll say something like, I'm really good at prayers. I say, I know. That's why I noticed that and picked you to do a talk next month. And I, what I'll do is I'll say, look, I will help you. Get mama to bring you by the office one day and we'll do this together. Which frankly, folks, here's what it comes down to. I have a boy sitting next to me at my desk in a chair and I write the talk. And I print it for him. And I give him the piece of paper and I say, go home and practice this a thousand times. And sometimes I think he has, because when he brings that paper on that Sunday afternoon, it looks like it's been through the ringer, right? It's all crinkled up, and, 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 so, and so he's sitting down here on this front view. I line them up, and they go in order, and so you can see the talk kit. He's just sitting there, just trembling, right? And when it comes his time, he gets up there in front of that mic. He doesn't pick his head up, man. He's like this. And he reads through that page in 27 seconds. I mean, boom, get this over with. It's funny to watch because when he's done, he goes back to the pew, he sits down, and here's what he goes. And he says to himself, I am never doing that again. Our rule is if nobody died, it worked. Everything was fine. But when we're done, that's when our widow ladies step in. And we'll dismiss and the boys will stand and our widow ladies come down and man, they start loving on those boys. They'll give them a big hug and they'll say things like, man, that's the best preaching we've had in this church in a long time. I don't know how to feel about that, Jacob. It kind of bothers me a little bit. They love on them boys and tell them what a great job they did. And I will tell you, almost every time with that exception, when the widows get done with them, they find me. And you know what they want to know? When will it be my turn again? You see, they just needed a little nudge to get them going. And mom and dad are absolutely vital to that process. I promise you, when your kids are in the 30s like my boys are, you are not going to be fretting about sports and grades and SAT scores and all that kind of stuff. You're going to care about one thing. Are they serving Jesus? And so I can have something to do with that process right now while they're growing up by encouraging, by encouraging them to be faithful disciples who serve Jesus right now. May God help us to raise a generation like that. Let's pray together. What an awesome blessing you have given us, Father, to be able to raise up kids. And what a blessing to have them among us as part of our church family. Father, may we recognize the awesome responsibility that you have laid on our shoulders 
to bring up these kids to know, to know you and to serve you. May we do that extraordinarily well. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be dismissed for class.